It's Monday the 11th of March 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Andy Fontaine, journalist and news editor at the Reykjavik Grapevine, and Olaf Ragnarsdottir, a broadcast journalist here at Rove. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Now, there's been two, maybe three, really big stories this week, as well as plenty of interesting smaller ones. Um, the Epling Hotel Cleaners strike happened on Friday, as well as a vote for further strike action that's been on, every, on everybody's lips. Um, meanwhile, the measles outbreak has turned into the worst we've had in some 40 years, uh, with a new case confirmed over the weekend. Wow Air has said at the start of the month that negotiations with Indigo Partners could continue until the end of this month, and now it does seem the investment company is willing to plough even more money into the company, but with some conditions. As attention has focused on what we throw away, there was a swan rescued in the week with a Red Bull can stuck on its bill, and that just proves that plastic is not our only problem. There's talk of removing the so-called Althingi route to getting Icelandic citizenship and an argument about whether or not that constitutes a crackdown of sorts. The naming committee has finally approved Zoe as a legal name, but it's still very much up in the air whether or not the nation approves of the naming committee. And the forecast blustery weather has turned into a full-on orange weather warning from mid-afternoon today and into tomorrow, with road closures expected. So, where would you both like to begin? Well, I mean, yeah, the strikes probably and the situation in that department is probably on the top of my head, at least, and maybe mm-hmm. many other <laughs> people in this country. But yeah. yeah, we'll see what will happen next. It doesn't really, I mean, you probably talked about this also last <laughs> Monday, but it still doesn't seem... Like they're getting closer with negotiations. Mm. So, yeah. And the first strike was a pretty small affair, and deliberately so. Um, What can we expect going down the road from here? I think what's been very interesting in this is um, that, well, for one thing, there's a new leadership at at Epling, the the labor union, uh, um, from last year anyways. And so there's a more... There's a stronger push for more direct action on behalf of, of workers. And it's been interesting seeing the responses from management, um, especially as you know, we keep hearing this refrain from management that there's simply no room for pay rises. We had the, you know, the, the owner of Island Hotel saying this exact same thing, like, I would absolutely love to pay my workers more, but we just don't have the money. And all it takes is like 10 seconds on Google uh, to find their annual reports to see, you know, profits in the hundreds of millions, holdings in the billions, free cash in the hundreds of millions. And it's interesting that, like, workers themselves are actually pointing out these inconsistencies, you know. I think that what we're seeing now is that there's going to be um, a stronger fight ahead. They're willing to actually go the distance, these unions, for what they want instead of, you know, conditions and a uh, 4% rise or what have you, as has often been the case in the past. Do you think that is because of the change in personnel or because people's quality of life is significantly worse than it was three years ago? I think it's both, to be honest. I mean, you can be you can be a union worker and be very frustrated with your situation, but if your representatives and your union bosses aren't willing to fight for you, there's 
little that you can do on your own, at least in the system that we have now. But um, because we now have uh, a, a very large labor union that's um, run by, well, I would say, more radically-minded union representatives, including immigrant workers in this country, uh, there's a stronger connection between the, the union workers and the union reps, and that and as well as like you know the the quality of life being yeah, this, it, what it is, I think both contribute to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is my feeling also. After having um, in the past few weeks, um, I talked with some of the workers who are um, yeah part of Eplink, and like you said, most of them are immigrants or people who've been here for a while, maybe. And but they said. I mean, at least two or three of them that I talked to, that in the past year, since there was a new leadership at Eppling, that they are more aware of their rights hmm. and that they have the unions that can back them up. Hmm. So that's really interesting, yeah. It's very encouraging, too, I would say. And, of course, the the first strike, as you say, was hotel cleaners um, and maids and, and primarily women of foreign origin, but... The four unions working together on this battle, they they cover a huge swathe of the whole workforce, you know, born native born Icelanders and and otherwise. So it's 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 not their fight. Um, they're just the, sort of the first line on it. Where do, you, um, for example, the bus companies and yeah. things like this is it's it, it's getting serious, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, because yeah, maybe some of the companies are strong and they have yeah, a lot of. Uh, mm room for maybe i mean you could argue that <laughs> that they're like like you talked mm-hmm. about andy that you know they have a lot of assets and so forth but uh, with the bus companies that's not really the case um i looked at some of their annual reports mm-hmm. um the two weeks ago i think and some of them they they aren't standing really strong so I think that might be a bit, yeah, serious of a problem for them. If, I mean, but still, I mean, maybe this is just going to force force us to rethink the whole system. I think it ought to, um, because what you point out, that like some of these companies aren't doing so great financially, well, that in turn raises the question, does someone have a right to run a business? Is it a fundamental human right to own your own business. If you cannot pay your workers a living wage, perhaps you should consider another line of work. I mean, that's my, and that's how the minimum wage was intended from the very beginning. You know, like, I will definitely feel for, um, feel more for workers that can barely put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads uh, with the pay that they're getting than I will for someone who has to give up owning their own tourism business and lose the chance to uh, cash in on this um, big cash cow that Iceland is experiencing right now in the tourism industry. Owning your own business is, it's not a right, it's a privilege. And if you can't pay your workers a living wage, then you surrender that privilege. I think it's pretty simple. Uh, the, 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 the level of that living wage, though, is more than just about businesses. Certainly. Because... Where the tourism industry is is a very competitive global market, mm-hmm. and if we're pricing ourselves out of the market, that's going to be a problem. So, living wage people are going to be able to afford rent that is reasonable. Yes, that's why I was glad to see that Vaver, for example, 
has put in conditions about rent controls. Because I think you're absolutely right that like it, this does not just revolve around wages. There are many factors that go into purchasing power and how we can live sustainably. And I think that rent controls is definitely something that ought to be explored, whether yeah. it's in how much you can charge for rent or temporary, like per perhaps further restrictions on temporary guesting like Airbnb. Who knows? I'm not yeah. in negotiations. Yeah. yeah, of course, in the end, we should we should be able to find a way for everyone to... Yeah, Live. make a living, yeah. Yeah, not just From survive, but have a decent living. Exactly. And actually, some of the, uh, the CEOs of the three biggest biggest bus companies told me that they're concerned about uh, foreign companies coming here mm -hmm. and taking a part of the market. And, and they, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's the case, but they are convinced that their workers are paid by rates, like not Icelandic rates. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that hasn't been proved. But if this is the case, then then we're just losing a part of the market to foreign companies and certainly. And so I on. think that that's there's a lot of truth to that. Um, tourism and like tour guides that I've spoken to, have also raised this concern that there are foreign companies that come here, that have less than scrupulous practices that don't, uh, who do not train their guides, um, fully to understand all the dangers of the Icelandic environment and what to warn tourists of and what not to, and these workers are underbid. And yeah, I think that's a that's an absolutely real concern that's going on here. It's just, as you say, very difficult to prove. Yeah, exactly. There's two uh, sets of negotiations going on at the moment. There's the four unions that have broken away and they're taking perhaps the hardest line. Then basically all the other unions are still working through the Confederation of Icelandic Labour mm. Um, on their own negotiations, they've kind of been overshadowed by the by the other ones going on. What do we have an update on on how that's going? So they um, decided that the what is Eriki Sautasamere? The state, state arbiter, yeah, yeah. yeah, arbitration, whatever. Yeah, yeah. mediator. I've been, yeah. <laughs> mediator, yeah. yeah. So she will be the one giving updates to media. They, I think, they have decided that. Um, the leaders of of Stavskernasambandið won't be talking to media and updating about how the negotiations are going. They want to keep it kind of, yeah, while well, they're trying to find a way to negotiate. So we don't really, yeah. Mm. I'm not sure about the recent updates from that negotiation, but... Neither am I. Yeah. But they're still <laughs> yeah. ongoing. I mean, they are still at the table. So, yeah. yeah, they're still at the table, and that must be. I mean, that's a good sign if they're still talking, at least. <laughs> okay. Well, should we uh, move on to a different subject? Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, okay. Maybe this is not really an issue here, but still, it it connects to <laughs> Iceland, the plane crash, in. Ethiopia mm -hmm. really is I mean people are talking and Iceland there says they're really following the investigation because they have the same planes mm -hmm. and I think this is also at the top of people's minds right now because we have these planes yeah with Iceland Air and with other companies like Norwegian for example me 
myself. I'm traveling next week with Norwegian Air, and they have the same planes. That, and that's and a direct the, flight from Keplavik. Yes, yeah. from Keplavik to Barcelona, and they have said they're not going to yeah park their planes. So makes you <laughs> think. <laughs> I mean, it's a brand new type of plane. This one from Boeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the vast majority of Iceland Air's planes are not this one. They're different. They're older ones. Um, but it should be said, you know, there's hundreds of these in the sky already, and two have gone down, which is unacceptable, clearly, but only two. So I, you, you've got to see both sides of it, really, I guess. Some of the companies, all of China has banned them from taking off now. Yeah, exactly. And, and then other countries are just leaving it to their own airlines to decide. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting that China chose that path and not other countries i'm not sure why but mm. yeah it might be because I, no i'm not going to put like conspiracies or anything but there's there are only 90 of them in china so far so it's not the, you know it's not like there's 500 or it, it won't be a big dent in their air traffic i exactly. guess yeah, and also maybe the feud with the us and china maybe that i don't know yeah, comes into yeah, play yeah. sure <laughs> but yeah i mean safety first for sure mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah, so Iceland Air is affected by this, but luckily most of their planes are not are not these ones. And hopefully within the coming days and weeks we'll find more explanations about what happened and, and, and yeah. whether or not these concerns are, are founded. Mm-hmm. So since we are at Keplavik right now, metaphorically speaking, maybe we should talk about Wow Air. Mm-hmm. They have different planes. Um, <laughs> they do. <laughs> and the... Um, investment talks with Indigo Partners are apparently going well, mm. despite what we all thought last week. Um, although we're not sure how well they're going for Schooley Morganson himself. Mm. Um, what, do, what do we know? Not that much, I no, think. Not that much. Like the, what I think is really interesting to have in mind when it comes to like talks between companies is that um, cor- companies are going to have their shareholders in mind first. So any sort of press release that you read about negotiations between two companies should be read with that in mind, that they're absolutely framing the language in a sense to, to keep their shareholders from completely panicking and, or for their shareholders to be confident that they're going to continue to make money. Um, that's why it's it's so hard to, to pin down anything concrete. Like the last report I saw was that Schooley could end up with a share anywhere from zero to 100%. Depending which, on how the company performs over the coming three years. Yes, which tells you absolutely nothing. Yeah. You know? Um, but that's just the nature of, of negotiations and between between companies. It's the shareholders are going to come first. And so you kind of have to, to read these statements through that filter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we do know something. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that's a complete smokescreen or something, but the language is going to be very diplomatic. Yeah. Because I, I suppose the bondholders that invested in Huawei last autumn, they've mm. got less to hide. And yes. so they, 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 some of those have come forward and, and said that it's disappointing that they're being asked to take these mm-hmm. these cuts, effectively. Mm. But um, it could have been worse, is the, yeah, is the picture. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, they... I mean, a lot of the people that spoke about this in the news over the weekend were, most of them were like happy that the negotiations are still going mm-hmm. and it seems that they're still very interested they want to increase the yeah so we have to be optimistic i think 
It's been the biggest roller coaster, or uh, one of the biggest roller coaster stories. It's so up and down. Like mm-hmm. a week ago, when the deadline was missed and they gave themselves another month, people were thinking, well, that's it. It's end yeah. of story. But no. Yeah, exactly. It's very strange. And this was going been going on for months. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can barely keep up. <laughs> Wizz Air will be our next discount airline. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. I mean, they're heavily involved with Indigo Partners themselves, so yeah. Yeah, they're owned by Indigo Partners. Mm-hmm. And they even have the same colour scheme, so it's just a natural... And they already fly here. Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's how I came back from Denmark last year. I didn't know they flew from Denmark, anyway. I yeah. know, right? <laughs> There's so many... Um, airlines that you you don't really no, know. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. Direct. I flew from Bulgaria to Denmark, not from uh, Denmark to Iceland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but they do have direct flights to I think London and Poland yeah. and, oh. and Lithuania and yeah. exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Well, again, as we've been saying on this particular story for weeks on end, wait and see what happens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, where now? Yeah. Um, measles? Yeah. Yes. Human names? Measles. <laughs> measles sounds fine. Yeah. Measles sounds lovely. Yeah. Yes, let's go there. <laughs> They're trying to get more vaccine now. Yes. I think um, a thousand more um, doses are coming, but they still want more, and that's not easy to get because mm-hmm. the producer and producers aren't really keeping up with the. Yeah, because there's um, an outbreak in Europe, so mm. let's hope they'll get as much as we need. Yeah, let's hope. I've been very pleased with the response of the uh, the healthcare system here. I mean, that was one of the major draws for me to move to Iceland in the first place. Being from the U.S., I mean, comparatively anything would be better, but here especially, like seeing that this is the response to a measles out- outbreak of like a massive education campaign, and a drive to get people in, like even like lowering the initial age when most people get their first vaccinations from 18 to, I believe, six months, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think they're saying that it's not really effective below six months. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if parents want their children between six and 18 months to have mm-hmm. it, then they can now. Exactly. Right. They did over the weekend. I think. Yes, from 18 to six months yeah, there. Yeah. And that that's fantastic. Um, it's not so fantastic is that there is at least one uh, anti-vax group in the country that's spreading misinformation. But counter to that, um, a grassroots campaign to counter that misinformation has started, you know, such as talking about how there's actually more mercury in the fish you eat than there is in vaccines, and there's Mm -hmm. no link between vaccines and autism. And seeing people voluntarily take it upon themselves to educate one another and encourage one another to um, safeguard themselves against this ancient disease, mm. which shouldn't even exist anymore, has okay. been very encouraging. Exactly. Um, there have been talks about, you know, trying to counter this by telling parents that if they don't vaccinate their children, they can't go to nursery schools or maybe even not come to the health care centre. Like, what do you think about that? The, do you mean the two and a half weeks quarantine idea? No, um, the thing is, um, there was, um, I mean, this was in the municipality, the 
There's one of the right, representatives. She was trying to put forward the motion if people don't vaccinate their kids, they should be banned from nurseries or yeah. kindergartens. And it was rejected, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But I think she said uh, before the weekend that maybe she would try to put it up again now after this mm. measles mini outbreak mm. or what we can call it. I mean, mm. Do you think that would be effective to ban? It makes me wonder if there's exceptions in there for um, for children who, due to, for example, autoimmune diseases, cannot uh, receive vaccines. Mm. I really don't know how many children that would comprise because, I mean, it's a, it's a rare enough condition as it is. Um, I think that, w if I remember correctly, that was the major point of contention last time. And also just, you know, people hear the word banned and they immediately their hair on the back of their neck stand up. We mm. don't want to be banned from anything. <laughs> right. No, that's a good point. But, and, and Or be forced into anything as well. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's almost exclusive, almost universally agreed that vaccines work and that they're not dangerous. But does that mean people don't have the right to think that they are dangerous? I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if, when they start putting little children in danger, yeah, they don't have the right anymore. Mm. They... Herd immunity exists for a reason, and it's because the vast majority are going to be vaccinated. There's always going to be a very, very tiny percentage of the population that cannot receive vaccines for any number of health reasons. And But we rely on them being protected by the rest of us vaccinating ourselves. So, yeah, I think that your rights end where reality begins, pretty much. Do what you want until it harms somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sounds like a good rule. Mm. I believe they were pretty happy at the weekend with the uptake of the... They opened yesterday and Saturday for, mm. for people. I, I know at least one person that did go in and was happy with the service they received as well. So. Mm -hmm. I think it went really well. I think they there were almost 3,000 doses finished since Wednesday or... Or Thursday, yeah. Mm. That's very encouraging. Yeah. And considering 90 to 95% of people were vaccinated to start with. Yeah. Then, mm. Yeah, indeed. Exactly. Yeah. So, hopefully we are over the worst of it. Although there has been the fifth case that was registered out east um, mm. over the weekend. Mm. And somebody, unfortunately, that works in a preschool. So, yeah. Yeah. Right before I came here, actually, I, I got an update. There have not been more cases <laughs> than those five already mm. established. So let's hope. Okay. Uh, I think we've probably got time for one quick more story. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing in my ear. Um, should we, where should we end with? Perhaps on a light note. On yeah. A light note. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, what is there light? Zoe. Zoe. The good name for, Zoe. Good for Zoe. After three years, Zoe is allowed to be called Zoe. Yes. That's good. That's quite an achievement. <laughs> um, I'm not being facetious either. Like, in, in It is quite an achievement. <laughs> you know, cons considering how um, it seems that they, the, the naming committee, it seems like it's always going to be here because it's always been here and it seems so ingrained in, in um, the Icelandic bureaucracy that it's um, easy to forget that, you know, we've had legislation put forward a couple times now calling for its uh, dissolution. Mm -hmm. And 
So I, I think that this underlines um, where the naming committee is at. Like we were talking about before the broadcast, um, uh, I'm an Icelandic citizen, but I'm foreign born. And when I decided to change my name, there was zero problem with it on account of being foreign born. But it also has no impact on the grammar. When people speak Icelandic with me, you know, they'll decline all the other words in the sentence but my name. They just skip over that part. And there's no reason why that can't be done with any other name that people come up with. I think Icelanders in general are going to continue to give their children Icelandic names because they want to. <laughs> you know, you, per you perhaps don't need to enforce on people things that they're going to do anyways. Just putting that out there. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting debate. And when um, I lived up in Scotland for two years mm -hmm. when I was studying with yeah, a lot of Americans. And whenever I told people about this, they were so surprised that this was a thing mm -hmm. and also impressed. And yeah. a lot of them were like, yeah, we should have that too. <laughs> so people won't name their kids some <laughs> yeah, strange names that have to follow them the rest of their lives. But... Mm. Yeah. Well, that's true as well. Yeah, yeah, there are two sides to every story. I believe mm. New Zealand, for some reason, had a real problem with this, um, of people naming their children ridiculous things, like bus stop number 12, I think, was one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for no reason, you know, and yeah. uh, and they have introduced a law to prevent that happening. Yeah. yeah so there, there is a middle ground. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, there is an existing solution to that. I mean, in the United States, there is um, a case of a child um, who was named Adolf Hitler Campbell, and this whole thing became a thing because the parents went to a bakery and wanted the cake to read happy birthday Adolf Hitler and the bakery wouldn't do it became this civil suit and in the end the judge ordered the parents to change this child's name saying that this causes undue pain and suffering to the child it was basically a child abuse charge put against the parents for this oh. and so we have that there in the US even though we don't have naming laws per se you can't just name your child any old thing because if it puts them in a situation where they're going to get bullied, you could catch a child abuse charge for it. Mm. So, where's the line, though? Yeah, I mean, exactly. yes, exactly. Who's going to decide? We know a lot of celebrity children that have got unusual names. Should we put it that way? This is true. And and, and yeah, is, are they affected negatively by them? Yeah, and so yeah, like, is mm. who's going to decide what's going to harm your child? Don't name your baby Hitler. Yeah. Definitely not. No. no. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't bend properly by Icelandic rules or anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Saturn Seven or Apple, those are okay. I yeah, think. they're fine. They're kind of neutral. Moonbeam. Um, the concept of the naming committee. Do you mm. think it will change? Will it? Will it go away in the in the next year or two? Or is there support behind it still? I I th I'm not sure, but I think there's still support behind it and mm. I think I think it will take a few years at least because with discussions and I mean first first time I heard it personally I was like oh no why mm. but then I started to think about it you know and and reading and hearing the debates in Congress and I was like yeah okay maybe we should just trust people to actually like you were saying to, to name their kids whatever yeah to, I mean, and there are also some cases that um, the naming committee has that you don't understand really. Like my mother's name, for example, mm. her name is Margaret Elizabeth, 
Elizabeth is not a common name and that's banned now. And I can't remember why, but you can name your kid Elizabeth. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I don't really understand some of the do's and don'ts, but... No. Yeah. It I seems not a lot of linguists do either. Yeah. Like Erika um, mm-hmm. most fam- one of the most famous linguists in the country, has brought up these inconsistencies and contradictions as well. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like it's been here for so long, we're so used to it. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't really think about it that much, but w- once it came up when I was living abroad and I was so surprised by <laughs> how my friends were so surprised and mm-hmm. <laughs> by it, and I didn't really realize that it wasn't a normal thing to have. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, there we go. Running out of time doesn't get any easier. But that's it for the week in Iceland. We'll return to roof.as forward slash English and Roof English on Facebook, as well as on Spielerin through the Roof app next Monday afternoon, the 18th of March. For now, it's thanks to my guests, Andy Fontaine and Olaf Ragnarsdottir, as well as to Ulfildur Eisteinsdottir for keeping the studio running smoothly. We like to finish the show with the number one song on the Raustvur chart, and this week that is Briette with her song Dino. Bye for now. <laughs>